0: on, put your hands together. We came to celebrate the name of the Lord, the powerful name, the name Tower, family and friends. Welcome to our 1030 a.m. Sunday morning service. In just a few moments, our very own pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson, will be bringing a timely word. If you have prayer requests or would like to give online, be sure to log on to our website or app at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com.
1: Strong Tower, I want to take a moment to thank you for being a wonderful body to shepherd, to pastor, to lead, and to serve. I want to celebrate what the Lord did through you this past week. God blessed our offering through your obedience to Him, and we were able to double what our weekly uh, budgeted amount is. And I just want to thank God for you, Strong Tower. Um, But for not only being generous, but also for being consistent in your giving, even during a pandemic. And what that says to me and the elders is that your spiritual maturity um, is not dependent upon being in church. No, your spiritual maturity is dependent upon you following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank you for being obedient to him and how it shows up here in this local church as we do our best to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. I also want to thank God for your flexibility. I want to thank God for your faithfulness because I see how you all communicate with one another online. Um, I hear about your huddle groups, and I'm just proud of you, and I just want to tell you that I love you and that I miss you, and uh, hopefully soon, 2021 will allow us to gather together but what this time has shown us is that we are the church not only gathered but we are the church scattered because at this church we've always tried to teach and believe that church really begins when we leave the church building and outside of the church building which you have not been able to occupy for months now you have been the church and as we go into the Uh, Christmas season, uh, as far as celebrating the actual day of uh, December 25th, which commemorates the day in which Jesus was born, there are many families that um, we want to serve and will serve in the community. So if there's someone in our body who would like to be an additional blessing to those whom we serve through the food bank uh, every other month, we uh, excuse me, every other week during the month, we bless people in the community through the food bank. And so what we're going to do, um, just as we did for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, we are going to collect hams as well as $20 gift cards to Kroger and Walmart. um, If you want to bring them by so that we can distribute them to those who come to our church in order to have their felt needs met. Um, We'll have uh, people here tomorrow, Monday morning, excuse me, Monday afternoon at the church from 1 p.m to 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, Sister Debbie Hall will be here um, receiving hams, receiving gift cards, and she and her team will turn around and distribute those items, those goods, to those who have need in our church and even in the community. But again, Strong Tower, I just want to thank God for you. You guys are the best. I see Jesus in you. I feel Jesus from you. And wow, I'm just honored to be your pastor. So, amen, amen, amen. So, tomorrow between 1 and 5, bring a blessing by if you can, and we'll bless those who stand in need this Christmas season. All right, if you have your Bibles, and I know that you do, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, or scroll in your phone to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. And as you know, I will be reading from the New King James Version. But before I get into the text, I need to let you know that this past Wednesday, the staff of Strong Tower Bible Church had a distanced Christmas party. Yes, we have a Christmas party every year. We exchange names amongst ourselves, and we uh, bless one another with gifts, and we share a meal together. And since we have not been having staff meetings in person This was really um, a special time for us to get together in the sanctuary. Uh, We had our own tables. We wore masks except for when we ate, and we exchanged gifts with one another. And once again, I I just want to thank God for this team that he's assembled, that he's blessed us with, that I get to serve with. And uh, they are remarkable people. So we had a wonderful time. And uh, Pastor Jerry, as only he can, he asked us a question. Now, I don't know where this question came from, but it works for my sermon today, and I don't know if he knew that. Maybe the Holy Spirit just kind of gave it to him to affirm my message, but he asked each of us to share how many times we've moved in our lives as far as from house to house or from apartment to house and on and on, how many times we've moved. And so as each person, we went around the circle just sharing. Um, We've had people who have moved many times because they are military children. We've had people move many times for various reasons. And when it came to me, I counted it up, and uh, I've been able to move 10 times during my lifetime, from house to house or into apartments, uh, but 10 times. And one thing that I've realized about moving, is that moving can be very laborious, very tedious, you know, to pack up those boxes. I mean, it's a lot of work to move. Uh, Not only can moving be uh, laborious and even stressful, um, but when you're moving, there is a level of uncertainty when you have to deal with the unknown. Because you may know the house you're moving into but you don't know the community. You don't know the school zoning and the system there. You don't know the neighbors, uh, especially if you're going into another state. And so moving has a level of stress to it, uncertainty, labor to it, packing and labeling all those boxes, wrapping dishes with, uh, you know, newspaper and all of that. It, it, it can be very, very strenuous and when we think about the first family, Joseph and Mary um, and baby Jesus and the child Jesus, they had to move multiple times. And even before Mary gave birth to Jesus, she and Joseph had to take a trip from Nazareth in the north into Bethlehem in the south. And as we're going to see today, they're going to have to leave Bethlehem and travel to Egypt then after spending time in Egypt they're gonna have to leave Egypt and come back into the land of Israel and go back to Nazareth and so there's a lot of movement going on for them and I would imagine as for this young couple and this young family there was a lot of labor involved Um, they didn't have uh, boxes to put their things in as far as UPS boxes But they had to pack their stuff up nonetheless. And so there was labor involved. And even for Mary and Joseph, there was uncertainty involved as they had to go from place to place. And as we learned um, last week, that Joseph may not have been embraced by his own family when he had to travel into uh, Bethlehem. But anyway, one thing is for sure that Mary and Joseph experienced as they traveled. And that is trauma, trauma. As I mentioned, there's uncertainty when we travel and have to move our family from place to place. But for Mary and Joseph, there was a level of trauma, as we'll be reminded of today, for why they had to leave Bethlehem under the cloak of darkness at night. You see, what we read casually, Joseph and Mary lived distressingly. You see, we just read right over these stories, and and we don't stop and pause and think, but that's part of what my job is, to get us to stop, pause, and think, and to put ourselves in, in these predicaments to better understand the scriptures, but also to appreciate what God did for his people during that time. And for Mary and for Joseph, it was traumatic what they had to go through. So permit me today to speak on the subject of messed up. Travel plans, <laughs> messed up travel plans in our series, Mary Chris Mess. There was a whole lot of mess going on uh, surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ for when he came into the world. And it just encourages us in our mess today, our messy world, our messy situations, that there is hope in a God who is named Emmanuel, the one who is with us. So let me pray and ask God to give us a word today. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you teach us, you lead us, you guide us. We thank you that you provide for us. We thank you, Lord, that you know how to minister to our hearts in a way that no one else can. For as much as we need one another and we need to bear one another's burdens and love each other well, we all pale in comparison to how you love us, and how you bear our burdens. Lord, we thank you for counselors. They have their place, and we need professionally trained men and women, licensed therapists to help us with our mess. And we thank you, oh God, that one of your names is Wonderful Counselor. And you know how to minister to us in ways, especially in the midnight hour, in the midst of brokenness, when we can't make that phone call, when that person can't show up. You are always with us. You are in us. And we thank you for the spirit of sonship whereby we can cry, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. So, Lord, I pray that your word would go forth in power and minister with delicacy to the hearts and minds and souls of your people that we all may be able to get up and go out and put into practice the things that we've heard. Also, Lord, I believe you're going to continue to break down walls of discrimination, darkness and ignorance in our minds and things we've been taught even in the church as a result of the truth that's contained in this passage today. So Holy Spirit, would you please help me to teach and preach, take my time and deliver your word as well as I can. But at the end of the day, Lord, it's about the authority of Scripture and not my ability to teach it or preach it, that matters most. So touch your people this morning. And Lord, if there is someone watching today who is lost, who doesn't know you for the pardon of their sins, might today be the day of salvation? Might you save someone by your grace today? And we'll be very careful to give your name the praise. For we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Messed up travel plans. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 2, had a special, significant, and astonishing encounter with the wise men. The wise men had come uh, from very far away, from the east. It may have been on a trek for about two years, coming to find the king of the Jews and to worship him, and part of their worship was to present to him their goods and their items of gold, myrrh, and frankincense. And so the Bible tells us that when they came, they bowed down and they worshiped the child, Jesus, who is no longer a babe, but he is no doubt a toddler now, possibly two years old. And they come and they fall down and they worship the child. They don't worship Mary, They don't worship Joseph, they worship the child and they give him their best gifts. So as I mentioned, what a special, significant and astonishing encounter that was. But unfortunately, that moment would be followed by a death threat later that night. On the same night on which they were blessed by the wise men because the wise men showed up at night because they had to follow the star and you see stars best at night. and the star hovered over the house where Mary and Joseph were with the child. They go in, they worship him. What a night, what a night. But that same night, they were warned and told to get up and leave town because there was a threat on the head, a death threat on the head and life of the child, Jesus, the King of the Jews. And so read with me in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2. Now when they had departed, they being the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the child, the young child, to destroy him. So, so there it is right there. They have settled in and nestled down for a comforting night's sleep because these men had come possibly from Persia, acknowledging that their son is the king and worthy of worship, meaning that he is God in the flesh. What a great, don't have a whole lot of time to pack. You've got to get up now, and you've got to go. Joseph, Mary, and the child Jesus got up in the middle of the night, and they fled from their house in Bethlehem. And they fled, listen to this, as refugees. They fled as refugees, You see, their lives in just a moment went from stability to instability, from certainty to uncertainty. And just like that, a moment. And isn't that how life can hit us many times? Where we can be having a quote-unquote great day, a great experience, a great celebration, and then wham, bad news. And then wham, something bad happens to us or to someone we love. And we have to Figure out how we handle the good in life with the not-so-good in life. And the Bible says in verse 14, when he, speaking of Joseph, arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt... I called my son. So they had to get up and flee. And by getting up and fleeing, that made them refugees. What is a refugee? A refugee is a person who has been forced to leave his or her country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. Let me say that again. A refugee is a person who has been forced to leave his or her country, or even in this country, to leave his or her state, think of Hurricane Katrina, in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. A refugee can be a displaced person, a fugitive, an asylum seeker, or a runaway. And so Jesus and his family, they were refugees. You see, King Herod, the third most powerful person in the then-known world, wanted to kill Joseph and Mary's son, Jesus. He was the third most powerful person in the world, following only behind the Roman emperor and the Roman governor of the area of Israel. And then there was King Herod. And we know based on a sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago and what history tells us about Herod is that Herod was a killer, a cold-blooded killer. And so when a man who has that much power and that kind of track record puts a hit out to the point where an angel has to interrupt your sleep to tell you that there is a death threat that is looming on your son, I don't think he got up calm and cool and collected. I think there was anxiety, there was stress, there was concern. And so you may be in that place today with anxiety, stress, and concern. And I'm just here to encourage you that you are not by yourself. And some of you may feel like you are a refugee with your job, that you're in a climate and a culture that is not healthy for you, You feel that the walls are closing in on you. You are underneath toxic people or working alongside of toxic people. Or God is literally calling you from one job to another that's in another state. And and, and you're like, man, how do I deal with this? Because there is uncertainty in the move. And I just want to let you know, if you hang on, I believe God's got a word of encouragement for you. You see, the angel told them to go to Egypt which is over 4,000 miles from Bethlehem. He told them to go to Egypt, which was southwest, um, approximately 4,000 miles from Bethlehem. Now, listen to this. If the three of them were able to walk six hours a day, it would take them approximately three weeks to get to Egypt. From Bethlehem. So if they walk on average of six hours a day, it would take them about three weeks to get there. So once again, uh, um, there's a long struggle here. And again, you are traveling under the threat of death. Well, sometimes, hear me on this, God will allow trouble. He will allow threats. And turmoil to come into our lives in order to transition us from one place to another. Did you hear what I just said? Sometimes God will allow turmoil, challenges, and even threats to move us from one place to another. He will allow you to lose your job. Maybe even to get fired because he wants to move you from that place to another place. He may allow you to lose your house. So that he can move you from one place to another place. Because I've learned something about God that God is not just in the destination I'm trying to get to, God is also in the journey as I'm trying to get to the destination I'm trying to get to. He's a consummate teacher and he loves to teach while we're on the go. And in Mary and Joseph's case, while they're on the run. You see, sometimes God will have us move locations because there are things he wants us to learn in the midst of the transition. Because sometimes we're not as astute and as tuned in uh, when when we're settled. So sometimes there has to be some movement to shake things up so that we look to God, depend on God, and listen to God like never before. So here's my question today. What, What are some of the things that Joseph, and his wife, Mary, learned as a result of having to move, to travel, and really to have some messed up travel plans. What are some of the things that they learned? Now, as I was preparing this in my study this week, I had about 15 things that I saw from the text that they learned. Now, there's no way I can preach all of those during this time, uh, but I'll give you some of the ones that I came up with. And the first one is, they learned that God is a good shepherd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they had to move in the middle of the night. They had to flee from Bethlehem to Egypt. They learned firsthand that God is a good shepherd. You see, God led them and he fed them. He guided them and provided for them. He directed them and protected them. Because God will never call you to go somewhere that his grace will not keep you on the way there because that's what kind of shepherd he is. And as my brother-in-law Gary said during the offertory, he is a good shepherd who leads us beside still waters, who leads us by green pastures, and he even knows how to lead us through the valley of the shadow of what? Death. Because he's got a rod and he's got a staff, and he knows how to hurl that rod at wolves who want to come against sheep, his sheep. He knows his sheep by name, and oh my God, mm -mm, I thank God that he was in the mix with Joseph and Mary. Joseph learned how to lead by following God. You see, he was only leading as he was being led. And if you notice in the text, every time the angel speaks to the family, he speaks to Joseph. More on that a little bit later okay? But, 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 but just dig me on this, that Joseph learned how to lead by following God. By listening to God, Joseph knew how to lead his wife and his son away from danger. Ah, oh, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. By listening to God, he learned how to lead his wife and his son away from danger. So men, If you want to lead well, we must learn to listen well. (laughs) You can't lead if you have not learned how to follow, especially if you and I aren't following God. We're not equipped to lead our family. But man, when we are being led uh, uh, by the Lord, then that gives us the knowledge and the wisdom and the insight on how to lead those who are following us. And so here's Joseph, man. He's learning how to lead. And and they're newlyweds, y'all. And and even when you're an old wed, you still have to depend on God to lead you so that you can lead your family. So brothers, you got to have your antenna tuned to heaven, 777, so that you can get instructions from heaven on how to lead your family. But, but, but first, let's back it up. You got to know how to let God lead you so that you can lead your family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But ladies, wives, I also got to drop this nugget of truth on you, and this is for free. You don't have to pay me for this. But ladies, if you want to be led well, you have to know how to, follow well. Oh my goodness. Joseph learned how to lead well by listening to the Lord. But what you don't see in the text is Mary giving Joseph some back talk. Oh my goodness. You don't see Mary questioning the brother to make sure the brother heard right from God. We know she can hear from God. We know she's had her own encounters and experiences with God, but she also understood something called biblical headship. (laughs) Oh something that we don't like to hear today in the world because in the marriage covenant you have two co-equal partners A, a man is not greater than a woman and a woman is not greater than a man a man is not lesser than a woman and a woman is not lesser than a man but what you have is you have two roles as two people come together as one and God has called for the husband. Whether society today likes it or not or agrees with it, but God says that the husband is to be the head of the wife. Don't throw a shoe at me. You can't throw a shoe at me right now anyway. But it's true. The husband is the head. And when we speak of headship, the Bible is talking about servant leadership. Because Jesus is the head of the church. And what did Jesus do as the head of the church? Yeah, he led the church, but he also washed the feet of the church. And he ultimately gave his life for the church. So if a husband recognizes his position as head, that doesn't mean he's domineering over. That means he's serving under. And I don't know a woman who doesn't want to follow a man who's going to love her into obedience, who's going to love her by laying his life down. I don't know too many women that want to follow a man who's trying to law her into obedience, to follow a man who doesn't want to give up his life but expects her to give up her life. Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh. So brothers, we got to understand headship, and ladies, you must understand what it means to be a helper, one who comes alongside, just like the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us. Oh my, again, when God speaks to Joseph, about the direction of the family the angel speaks to him twice and then God speaks to him the third time and he gets the information from God and he applies it for his family which takes us back to the book of Genesis with the first married couple Adam and Eve God placed Adam in the garden first then he brought Eve in to establish order And God gave Adam the commandments, and he was to give the word to Eve. He didn't give the word to Adam and Eve. He gave the word to Adam, who was Eve's priest and pastor and protector. That's how the family is supposed to work. So don't trust me. Go to the word, Matthew 2.13, Matthew 2.19, Matthew 2.22. When God had a word for the family, he spoke to the husband. Ah, that doesn't mean he doesn't speak to the wife because there are many scriptures in the Bible where the wife saves the life of the husband when the husband's not listening to God, i.e. Moses. I could camp right there, but y'all, I got to keep going. By listening to God, Joseph knew how to lead. The Lord was their shepherd, my God. But another thing they learned, they learned that Jesus was the focal point of their family and not themselves. They learned that Jesus was the focal point of their family and not themselves. Jesus is what made their family a family, really. uh, uh, Jesus is the one that really revealed Mary and Joseph's purpose in life. Apart from Jesus, we wouldn't know about them. Apart from Jesus, they wouldn't be recorded in the holy pages of Scripture. And so Mary and Joseph... They got their significance and purpose in life from being with Jesus and identified and associated with Jesus. You see, Herod was after Jesus. He was not after Joseph or Mary. Uh, so, So this means being associated with Jesus can get you persecuted. Being associated with Jesus can cause you to be inconvenienced, maybe even killed. Yes, being associated with Jesus causes us to be blessed, But we always like to skip over the other stuff like persecution, being inconvenienced, and maybe even being killed because we're with him. He's the focal point of our lives. He just doesn't bless us, but sometimes we got to go through some stuff because we are his followers. When Jesus is the focal point of your life, you can expect to be persecuted, especially as you desire to live godly for him. Expect to be put down and talked about. And again, in other parts of the world, there are believers who are being persecuted to death. Uh, 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 being told to wear a mask is not persecution. <laughs> no, come on now. Uh, your candidate losing the election is not persecution. No, people trying to kill you because you named the name of Jesus, that is Persecution. Jesus was the focal point of their family, and I hope he's the focal point of your family. And above all, I hope he's the focal point of your life. Third, they learned that Egypt can be a safe place for Jewish people. Mary and Joseph learned that Egypt can be a safe place for Jewish people. Look with me at verse 14 of Matthew chapter 2. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. All right, here's my question. Why Egypt? What's so significant about Egypt? Why did God call Joseph to take his son and Mary into Egypt. Well, number one, God did this in order to fulfill Scripture. Matthew here in verse 15 quotes from the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. And the verse reads, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So when we hear that, and we, when we read the book of Hosea, the first thing we think about is the Exodus, when God called the Jews, 600,000 men on foot, not counting women and children, could have been a community of 2 million people who left out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, that he called them out after 400 years of slavery. And so that's the first thing we think of. But Matthew comes along and he takes what the prophet Hosea said and he applies it under the inspiration of the spirit to the life of Jesus. And so what this means is that Israel is a type or a picture of Christ, God's son, who is going to be called out of Egypt. So Israel prefigured or they were a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a type of them. They were a type of Jesus Christ. And so before God called the Jews out of Egypt, he was the God who led them into Egypt. Just like before God would call his son out of Egypt, he led them into Egypt. Let me refresh your Bible memory. Abraham, the Bible says, went down into Egypt. And he went down into Egypt because of a famine that was in the land of Canaan. So God, again, will use hard things, even natural things to get his people to move. Because when Abram or Abraham went down into Egypt, uh, that's when he lied about Sarah being his wife and said, she's my sister. And Pharaoh uh, wanted to take Sarah on as his wife. And we know that that did not happen. And so he told uh, Abraham just to leave the area. And when Abraham left, he left with all of these goods that he had acquired in Egypt. Uh, uh, not only animals, but also men servants and maid servants, and that's where Hagar came from when he left Egypt. So, so Egypt was a place that he fled to, but also a place that when he left from, he left better than how he went in. Oh, not only did Abraham go there, but Joseph went down southwest into Egypt when he was sold by his brothers to the Midianite traders, and they uh, took him down into Egypt. And he began to work for Potiphar. And so Joseph, he goes into Egypt as a slave. But not only that, Joseph's brothers would eventually go down into Egypt because of a famine during their lifetime. And they heard that there was still food in Egypt. So they went down into Egypt. And they encountered their brother that they didn't know was their brother that God had elevated during that time to be the second in command to Pharaoh. And as a result of the brothers going down and Joseph revealing himself to his brothers, their father, Jacob, eventually comes down into Egypt. And so the Jews had come into Egypt. And by the time they got there, the Bible says it was about 70 of them. And they would stay there for hundreds of years and grow numerically as a people before going back into the land of Israel, which was called the land of Canaan. And so there is a history of the Jews going into Egypt, but also coming out of Egypt. But why Egypt is my my question, and we see to fulfill Scripture. But another reason for Egypt is it validates Africa to future generations. You see, God, God doesn't make mistakes. God knows what's going on. God has solutions before there are problems. And God knew there would be a problem in our era called white supremacy and racism. And so God gave a solution before that problem ever manifested. You see, since Jesus went to Egypt, that means Jesus went to Africa. Uh, This is where it gets silent if I was teaching in the classroom, because we've been conditioned in this country, especially those of us who are Christians, to disconnect the continent of Egypt from the the country of Egypt from the continent of Africa. But if you were to go to your map today, you would see that Egypt is one of many countries that is on the continent of Africa. And since Egypt is on the continent of Africa, that means that the Egyptians are Africans, all right? But, But that's not how we're taught. That's not how we've been conditioned in this country. And because history tells us so many wonderful inventions and uh, progressions of humankind can be attributed to Egypt, like medicine and science and writing, uh, mathematics, those things uh, get their birth coming out of Africa, namely Egypt, Uh, uh, people in this country have had to say that the Egyptians were anything but African, meaning that they were anything but dark-skinned people. And so, therefore, we would see Hollywood make Egyptian people be white. I don't have to take you to the Ten Commandments. You know Yul Brenner was a white man playing uh, Pharaoh's son. So, 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 we've been conditioned because there are too many positive things about Egypt to allow Egypt to have negative people according to the stigma placed on descendants of Africa in this country. And so, again, but I go to the Bible as the source of my authority I'm not utilizing critical race theory. I'm using biblical authority to teach me history so that I may govern my life accordingly. So Jesus went to Africa, and I have to state the obvious because the obvious has been overlooked for centuries. Jesus went to Africa. Oh, I love this. Listen to this. There are seven continents in the world, and Jesus only placed his feet into two of them. There are seven in the world. He only placed his feet into two of them, those being Asia and Africa. And when we think of Asia, that is inclusive of the land of Israel. So Jesus obviously was born in Asia, but he went to Africa as a toddler and stayed there for an indefinite amount of time, which means that Jesus was reared around African People. Yeah, there were Jewish colonies in Africa, uh, but there were Africans in Africa. And many of my theology books written by white authors, they always want to be quick to mention that there was a Jewish colony in Egypt, but they don't like to mention that there were Africans and Egyptians in Egypt. Why? Because of what the influence or the leaven of racism in our seminaries and in our churches ever since the colonists got here. But I thank God that when you tell the truth, you expose the lies. So, seven continents, Jesus only placed his feet in two of them. There are 193 countries in the world, and Jesus uh, only placed his feet in two of them. 193 countries, he only placed his feet in two two countries, being Israel and Egypt. Egypt. And so so when you think about the impact, the global impact of Jesus' life and ministry, he really didn't travel outside of that radius of Asia and Africa, Israel and Egypt. And yet he changed the world with his presence. Jesus, let me say this, never went to Europe. You can't find that in the Bible, that Jesus went to Europe. And like Christopher Columbus Jesus never stepped foot in North America either. (laughs) Did you hear that? He never stepped foot in North America, even though the Mormons have come up with their own brand of religion and Christian religion, whereby they say that Jesus made an appearance here in North America. And the reason why they have to say those things and they paint him lily white is because it's hard to follow a brown-skinned Jesus who went into Africa if you believe in white supremacy and the superiority of white folks over everybody else. But, but, but as I'm going to say to you right now, Jesus had more geographical, sociological, and biographical connections with Africa and Africans than he ever had with Europe and Europeans. Again, read Jesus' family tree and see how many Canaanites are in his family tree. Also, when you read his family tree, you know that Joseph, who's in that tree, married an Egyptian slash African woman and had two sons named Manasseh and Ephraim. So so within Jesus' biological tree, he has more connections with Africa and Africans than he ever had with Europe and Europeans. So for people like me, because somebody may say, man, that's not important. That doesn't mean anything. Yes, it does. For people like me, and often despised, descendant of Africa in America, this information is critical for me. It's critical for me. You see, in America, where white Jesus is an icon of white supremacy, I don't need Jesus to be black for me to worship him, but I do need proof that Jesus loves me and validates black people in order for me to walk with him. I said that too fast. Let me say it again in America where Jesus, white Jesus rather, is an icon, a representation of white supremacy. I don't need Jesus, the true Jesus, to be a black man in order for me to worship him. He is a Hebrew man, he is an Israelite. But I do need proof that Jesus loves and validates black people in order for me to walk with him. And had we taught these kinds of things back at the turn of the 20th century, Perhaps the nation of Islam wouldn't have been able to take off in our prisons where black men turned away from white Jesus and turned to a black God named Allah that gave them permission and approval to hate white people. And that's where Malcolm X comes from. But had we taught the truth of scripture and took down those pictures of white Jesus in our churches and in our seminaries, then perhaps we would have dealt a blow to white supremacy. Perhaps there wouldn't have been no need for white supremacy if we allowed the Bible to speak on its own. The truth of Jesus going into Africa and living there helps to destroy the myth of white supremacy and the lie of black inferiority. So when I read the scripture, and I believe every word is inspired by God, God wanted me in 2020 to realize that his son stepped foot in a place that my descendants came from in shackles. That encourages me because for so long, I was taught a brand of Christianity that said that I met Jesus or my people met Jesus when they got to this country in slave ships. So therefore, slavery was a blessing for Africans, those beasts and those brutes, because at least they got the gospel when they got here. But no, that's a lie, because Jesus was in Africa long before the slave ships got there. And if you read your Bible thoroughly, you will also see that the church got to Africa long before the slave ships got there. Oh, my God, I just had to say that. I just had to say that. Let me go on now to point number four. They learned, Mary and Joseph, that God will sometimes call you back to where you came from. (laughs) God will sometimes put you on a boomerang and call you back to the place you came from. Look at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 2. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. So the place that they left, they had to go back to. And man, God has a sense of humor sometimes, because sometimes we leave places, and they've been traumatic for us, or we didn't like how you know, this area we lived in, or this job we worked at, and God will call you away, do some work in you, (laughs) and then call you back to that same spot. Wow, wow, wow. That's why when you follow God, you have to be flexible. Here's something about the will of God. The will of God is never a straight line from A to B to C. The will of God is never a straight line. The will of God is a zigzag line. Man, it goes all over the place from A to Q to F to to Y. If you're waiting for God to make things linear for you, you're going to be in trouble. Following God, man, is sometimes like how the wind blows. It it moves in different places, which is why, again, we've got to be flexible and be reminded that our lives do not belong to us. We've been bought with a price. So if the shepherd tells the sheep, get up and go, or get up and go back, the only choice for us is obedience. And you know, sometimes back, can you, might be calling you to go back to somewhere that you left. He just might be doing that because he wants to continue to grow you. Another thing they learned, they learned that they can be honest with God about their Fears, especially Joseph. Look at verse 22. But when he had heard that Archelius, one of Herod's sons, was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So Joseph was afraid to go into a place because Archelius had a reputation that was just as bad as his daddy. He too was a killer. And so Joseph, his mama didn't raise no food. And he's like, I love God, but I still got common sense. And he's like, wait a minute, Lord. You called me out of the frying pan, but I feel like I'm going back into the fire. There was fear that had risen up in Joseph, the earthly father of our Lord. Let me say this to you. Becoming afraid is not the problem. Staying afraid is the problem. Becoming afraid is not the problem because becoming afraid reminds us that we're human. Becoming afraid reminds us that we need God. So becoming afraid is not the problem, but staying afraid is because fear can be a healthy emotion to protect us. But if we allow fear to dominate, to go from an emotion to a stronghold, that's when we've entered into spiritual warfare because there are spirits that are called fear, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And they want to bind and hinder us from going forward in faith in the name of Jesus. So we need to discern when fear is natural or when fear becomes a spiritual stronghold. Becoming afraid is not the problem. Staying afraid is because it's a test of faith, and God wants us to to, to realize who has more power, the thing we're afraid of or him, the thing we're afraid of doing or him, Archelius or the Lord, Goliath or God. And so God wants you to go forward even if your knees are knocking. Go forward even if your tongue is stammering. Go forward by faith and face your fears. And rely on the Lord. Another thing this passage teaches us is that they learned that God's revelation is often progressive. Oh, I love this. God's revelation is often progressive. The angel spoke to Joseph at critical moments along the way. So we know what we just read. He spoke to him the night that the wise men left the house and said, get up and go. And so he got up and went. And then the angel said, get up and go back. And he got up and went back. And then the Bible even tells us that God warned him in a dream to turn aside into Galilee. So the angel is speaking. God is speaking. But, but can I go back a little bit? Because in chapter 1, when the brother is thinking about divorcing his wife, God spoke to him through the angel and said, don't be afraid to take Mary on as your wife. And so he obeyed God through the angel and took the woman Mary to be his wife, and she was pregnant with child of the Holy Spirit. Had he not listened to that revelation, don't you expect him to get more revelation from God? Uh, I got to make it plain. I got to make it plain for you. See, I know a lot of people, who they're waiting for God to speak and part the sky and, 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 you know, send a messenger by, when a lot of times God has already spoken, but we didn't listen. And so we're waiting on this big word, but God already gave you the word. And God is a good steward of his word. Why should he give you more word if you haven't acted on the word he already gave you? But if you act on what he told you, He will show you what he has for you next. And as you act on that, he will show you what he has for you next. Why? Because his word, according to Psalm 119, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Stop focusing so much on the path and deal with what he's saying to you and your feet today. Because if you don't deal with what he's telling you today like Love your enemy. Forgive that person that hurt you. Uh, Man, give a portion of your income to me at the local church. Uh, Don't expect God to give you special direction down the path if you can't do the basics surrounding your feet because the revelation of God is progressive. There are things that God is showing me now about himself and his word I could not have handled when I got out of seminary. But as I've walked with him along the way and had some experiences as a husband and as a father and as a pastor, he has spoken to me and shown me things from his word and about himself because the knowledge of God, the revelation, is progressive. If he tells me to go up here and hang a left and I just stay where I am... Why do I expect him to tell me what's going to happen after the first instructions? I got to go through the first instructions and hang a left, and then he'll tell me to hang a right and go straight. And guess what? There might be a blessing on the other side. So those of you who are waiting for God to give you a word, I want to let you know he probably already gave you the word. What have you done with what he gave you? My God. And here's another thing, and this is for free. A lot of people are looking for the specific will of God. But you'll never get the specific will of God if you don't do the general will of God. Love him, love yourself, love your neighbor. The general will of God. Do those things and the unknown specific will of God will find you. I was telling one of the brothers at church a couple weeks ago that God loves to steer a moving Christian. You see, when I get in my car today after church, I can't steer it until I turn it on and start moving with it then I can steer it. And we got a lot of Christians who want to be steered by God, but you ain't even turned the engine on yet. You're not even moving yet. And and God says, you get to moving with the known will of God. You obey me, and man, I will lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. I'm so glad Joseph listened in chapter 1, because God was giving him some great direction in chapter 2. My, my, my. Oh, boy. Well, finally, finally. They learned to be called derog- that to be called derogatory names can be a good thing. They learned that to be called derogatory names can be a good thing. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, when we read the scriptures and and Matthew says here, uh, the prophets have said that Christ would be called a Nazarene. You can't find that in the Old Testament. You can't find that in the Old Testament. And so when he says the prophets have said, that just may mean that there were oral traditions and things ascribed to the prophets that just didn't make holy writ. And so the Jews would not only have the scriptures, but they also had oral tradition. And so they may have heard that other prophets said that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. And what that means basically is that he would live in Nazareth in Galilee. Now, now, now I got to go a little bit now into biblical history here and, and cultural history. Um, let, let me set it up this way. My barber... Tony Steele, is from Detroit, Michigan. And if you say the name Detroit around certain people, they'll go, Ugh, Detroit, that's where all that killing is. Detroit, that's where there's a whole lot of unemployment. Detroit, that's where a whole lot of crime is. Or even if I tell people that I'm from Baltimore, I might hear the same things because we've attributed certain stigmas with certain areas. And, and here, Nazareth is in the north, and all of the holy people live down south. It's kind of like that here in America, in the Bible Belt. We're the only ones that think we know God. But yet this area is just as racist and segregated as all get out. But empty way, the north sometimes has these things associated with it that people say stay away from that place. That's how Nazareth was. Nazareth had a bad reputation amongst the Jewish people. Because Nazareth was a place, not only was it in Galilee, away from the south, in the temple, in Jerusalem, the city of David, but it was in the north. And Nazareth also had a garrison where the uh, uh, Gentile or Roman soldiers were stationed. They were stationed in Nazareth. And so there were Jews who despised Nazareth because the oppressor lived there. The, the, the army of the oppressor was stationed there. So any Jews that lived in Nazareth, it was thought of that they were traitors, that they were compromisers because they chose to live in an area that had Gentile, Romans, oppressors there. Which is why when they said that they found the Messiah when Jesus began his ministry... John chapter 1, verse 46, I believe it was Nathaniel who said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth had that reputation. So if you were called a Nazarene, that was a term of scorn and contempt to be called a Nazarene. Uh, uh, but I'm so glad that Jesus was not afraid to have a name of scorn attached to him. Because often in the Bible we we read Jesus of Nazareth. That would be like in today, Jesus of Detroit, Jesus of Baltimore, Jesus of Chicago. He was not afraid to be associated with an area that was seen as a place of contempt and scorn. Well, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, I believe verse 3, that Jesus, the Messiah, he would be despised and rejected. And so the Pharisees, they despised and rejected Jesus because they thought he was from Nazareth. But if they took him aside and asked him, where were you born? He could say, I was born down south in Bethlehem to fulfill scripture, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But I went into Africa and then my family went into Nazareth and I was raised and reared in Galilee in order to be a light to the Gentiles in the north as well as to provide love to the Jews who lived there if they only took time to ask him where he was from. You see, Jesus was called a Nazarene, a term of contempt and scorn so that you and I could be called children of God. He was called a Nazarene so that you and I could be called redeemed and righteous. He was called a Nazarene so that you and I could be forgiven and blessed Jesus was called a Nazarene so that you and I could be called a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. He was called a curse because cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree so that you and I could be called blessed. Thank God for Jesus being a Nazarene. You see, Jesus was despised and rejected so that we could be loved and accepted. And just because you've been rejected by men like Jesus, that doesn't mean you haven't been chosen by God like Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Just because in your life as a woman, as someone who's wealthy, someone who's not so wealthy, as, as someone who didn't get a great education, someone who grew up in this denomination, whatever you've gone through and people despise and reject you, I just want to let you know that although you've been rejected by men, that doesn't mean you have not been chosen by God. Because in our Savior, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So although they put you down, God is here to lift you up so in conclusion God moved Joseph Mary and Jesus and he took care of them every step of the way so if there's a big move in your life God is moving you from one company to another company from one church to another church from one city to another city from one state to another state or from one country to another country God will take care of you every step of the way There was so much for them to learn about God during that time of swift transition because everything began at night. Get up now and take your child and your wife and flee and go to Egypt. That was swift. That was quick. And in 1913, songwriter Jenny Wilson penned a song that I grew up singing in the Black Baptist Church. Oh, my. She she penned a song about swift transition because every now and then we go through swift transition. Our lives can change just like that. Something we can go through that we didn't foresee, man, it can change just like that. But we got to realize that when it changes just like that, the God we know never changes. (laughs) Life can change on you, but the God we serve never changes. And Jenny wrote, Time is filled with swift transition. Not of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Oh, we would sing that growing up in the Baptist church. And if I could sing, y'all know I would. Hold to his hand. God's unchanging hand. Hold to his hand, God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. My God, and somebody needs to do that today because you can't handle what's going on, all these swift transitions, but if you can just hold on, To God's unchanging hand. And then realize that when you start to lose your grip, he never loses his grip on you. Ow! That's good news. The one you're holding on to is the one who's holding on to you and will never let you go. Let me pray for us. Lord, there's been a lot of swift transition in 2020. A lot of coming and going. A lot of different things happening. It's been a messy time. It's been an unconventional uncon- time, an uncomfortable time. But one thing that has remained, that's you. Even as our government is changing power, you don't change. And we thank you, O oh God, that we look first and foremost and ultimately to you, the rock of our salvation. And we thank you, Lord, that you're stable. We thank you, Lord, again, that you do not change. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing on the people of Strong Tower Bible Church that you're calling to relocate in an already difficult season, people in our congregation that you're calling to move from this place to that place, from this job to that job. Lord, I pray that they will trust you in the midst of this transition, even when things feel messed up and they don't understand why, May they realize from Mary and Joseph's story that they are not the first person to be inconvenienced by messed up travel plans. Thank you for being the shepherd who stays with us. Thank you for always teaching us every step of the way. Thank you for providing for us. You knew Joseph and Mary would have to take that trip, so you sent the wise men with gold to help finance that trip. You provide before we even get into the situation. We live by faith, Lord, and not by sight. So strengthen us today and help us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. I hope you got something out of this because I sure did. And, uh, man, it it got so good to me. I said, you know what? I know I said the last Bible study was last Wednesday, but I'm tempted to kind of revisit this stuff, especially the portion about Jesus being in Africa on Wednesday night. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe throwing in an extra Bible study, but I don't know. I, I need to take a break and, and rest like you. But man, this stuff is so exciting to me. Uh, uh, but, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, uh, and don't forget, tomorrow, 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 from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock right here at the church, if you feel so led to bring uh, gift cards, $20 gift cards to Walmart, to Kroger, or even to bring hams by, that we may bless families um, who are underserved in our community and in our church. Man, that would be a blessing. Uh, so, so, so come on by tomorrow and see Sister Debbie and her team. We'll be masked up. You be masked up. We'll social distance. We'll continue to practice that. And also we want to pray for um, our country as this vaccine is going out, that it will be available, that it will work, um, that it will make people better. Um, Also, we just want to pray for people in our body who have been impacted by COVID, who've had family members impacted by COVID. Um, We pray that that this thing is coming close to an end. And if this vaccine works, and I believe that it will work, we don't praise man for it. We thank God for using man, but all healing ultimately comes from God. And I pray that we're in a season, we're coming into a season where, where God will lift this off of our country and off of the world. And I hope that when we come through this, that we will be different and more sensitive to God and the things of God than we were when we went into it. I hope God has our full attention, especially for Christians. Um, so, so may this labor, this time not be in vain. And again, as believers, we do not live in fear, even though we're called to be frugal and wise. We are careful, but we are not fearful during this time. So be wise Mask up, wash your hands, maintain distancing, pray for this virus, uh, excuse me, this vaccine to be able to knock this virus out, and uh, hopefully we'll be back together again in the church. But as we started this message out, um, the church is not just a place to gather. I need you, and I hope you need me, but man, the church is really the church when we're out of this building. So thank you again, Strong Tower, for being faithful to your God during this time of swift transition. So let's receive the benediction and let's go forward. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We just thank you for you. There is none like you. I thank you that the Bible says you are love, that you love us, Lord, and you proved your love By sending your son who gave his life while we were in the midst of our sin and rebellion, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us to get right because, God, you knew we couldn't get right. Jesus came so that we could get right through his righteousness. We thank you for his resurrection that defeated hell, sin, death, the devil, and the grave. We thank you for the triumphant resurrection of Jesus, and we look forward to his soon return, and we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We love you. We want to see you. We want to be with you. But until that time, Lord, may we occupy, may we be salt and light. Might we be your body in the earth, your hands and your feet until you come. So fill us with the Holy Spirit as a body and individually that we may recognize whose we are and who we are and why we are still here to make a difference for your sake. We've been called out of darkness, and we're so glad to be in the marvelous light. We're born again, and we just want to say thank you, God, for changing us, for saving us, for loving us, for being with us. And now, Lord, bless your folks as they go that we might be a blessing For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you, church, and we'll see you soon.
0: Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is Senior Pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 10 30 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We've pray you have a blessed wonderful and safe remainder of the day and we'll see you next week same time right here at the tower